Hello, and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we're diving right back in with Ms. Magazine, an article that was written on Tuesday, November 8th, which was the midterm election day, and it was titled, Reproductive Freedom and Dignity Are on the Ballot, written by Michelle Goodwin. So, as I mentioned, this was written or published on the morning of midterm elections, and it was specifically focusing on the crucial importance of these elections in the abortion movement. And they are very crucial for life or for abortion, depending on which side you stand on. That is because these are the first elections after Dobbs overturned Roe v. Wade in June. And so what Dobbs did with Roe v. Wade is it gave the decision of abortion back to the states. Instead of making it a national mandate or a national requirement, it gave the abortion decision to the states so that each state could decide of its own accord how they were going to act with the issue of abortion, what laws they were going to put in place. And states have been passing laws for the past five to six months since that decision of jobs in late June. And some states are allowing abortion even more so than they did before, or at least to the same extent that they did before. And other states are putting hindrances on it or putting qualifications upon it. So for example, if we contrast the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio, they're neighbors. And yet Michigan, the standards for abortion went immediately into effect where basically abortion rights were the same in Michigan as they were before Dobbs because they prohibited the establishment of something in the 1920s, which basically said that no abortions were allowed except to save the life of the mother. And the state of Michigan blocked that from going into effect. And so all abortions were legal and are legal in the state of Michigan. And yet they were pushing in this midterm election for Proposal 3, which went even further. Proposal 3 basically extended the rights of abortion. It allows young women to get abortions without the permission or even informing their parents. And it even allows non medical doctors to perform abortions. So it's opening up abortion rights. Whereas in Ohio this past summer, the heartbeat bill went into effect, which basically limits abortion past six weeks because that is when there is a detectable heartbeat. And so after six weeks, abortions are not allowed except to save the life of the mother. And actually, Michelle Goodwin, the author of this article, goes into that in her article, she basically focuses in on Ohio and a couple other states that are very pro-life states and says that this is the chance to basically swing them the other way. So she writes, Ohio has a six-week abortion ban that makes no exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Notably, it was the state of Ohio that barred a 10-year-old rape survivor from terminating a pregnancy shortly after the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, which dismantled abortion rights. So, as we've talked before, there's so much language, even in these first few sentences, just uh, the way that she's approaching the Dobbs decision and the state of Ohio, the heartbeat bill, and this specific horrible story of this 10-year-old girl. 
So let's just address, first off, she says, the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, which dismantled abortion rights. And as I said earlier, abortion rights were not dismantled. The decision was returned to the states for each state to decide. So Dobbs did not outlaw abortion. It just simply returned the decision to the states. But that's not what she wants her reader to think because she wants her reader to be outraged at such a, such a horrible story, which we ought to be. But we should not be outraged because of the Dobbs decision. We should be outraged because of the sin and the horrible abuse of this 10-year-old girl. And then secondly, she goes into this case of the 10-year-old girl who was a survivor of rape and became pregnant and didn't get an abortion in Ohio. She had to go over to Indiana to get an abortion. And this story was raging for several weeks about this 10-year-old girl. And it was it was horrible. It was horrible to hear and as I approach this topic, I, I don't want to sound insensitive. I My heart goes out to this girl and to her family and all of the suffering going on. But let's be clear how the media used this story for their advantage. They didn't, in all of their headlines and all of their news, pursuit and justice for the girl. So pursuit of this criminal who raped her, this horrible, horrible person, that was not the point. That was not the highlight. That was not what they were covering for much of the first beginnings of the case of the uh, in the first few days. Instead, they were focusing on the fact that she couldn't get an abortion in Ohio and had to go to Indiana. And so they weren't focusing on the crime of rape. They were focusing on the the pregnancy and basically turning the hindrance on abortion and protection of that life of that heartbeat at six weeks pregnancy they were turning that into the crime and that into the horrible thing that was going on instead of recognizing the wicked man and who did this and saying how could we let this happen and how how have we come this far and let's get justice for this young girl and put this man in prison so that he can't do this to anyone else that was not the focus it was not focusing on his crimes it was focusing on basically the crimes of anyone who would say that abortion should not be allowed for a number of reasons in addition, this didn't appear until later, but Attorney General Dave Yost of Ohio said that an abortion would have been protected under the health of the mother because of the girl's age. So even in the state of Ohio, where abortion restrictions are very strong and the abortion is not allowed past six weeks because of the heartbeat bill, it still does allow exceptions in rare cases for the mother's health and for the mother's life. So if the mother's life is endangered or her health is significantly endangered, an abortion is permitted. That has to be medically determined. But I think we can all come to agree and come to understand how a 10-year-old girl carrying a pregnancy is unsafe. And even though she didn't get an abortion in Ohio, Attorney General Dave Yost said that she could have because of that reason. Michelle Goodwin continues... Sadly, threats of criminal and civil punishment for aiding or abetting in the termination of a pregnancy now shape whether and how medical providers will care for their patients. So basically, she's again alluding to this case and others that she goes into the article and saying that medical providers are now scared to provide abortions because they're afraid that they could get in trouble for it because of the laws. So for example, in this case with the 10-year-old girl, 
I don't know all the undergoings of it, of if she sought to get an abortion in Ohio and then was rejected, or if she just knew about, she and her family knew about the six-week heartbeat bill requirement and so went to Indiana instead. But nevertheless, what it's saying, what she's saying is basically like an abortion provider would say, I can't give you an abortion because I don't want to go to jail or I don't want to be fined. And it, it violates the state's laws. And so she's saying that this is horrible and that we should basically over, overturn these laws in our midterm elections. But her words in this article make the laws protecting the right to life, protecting a child's life in pregnancy, it makes it sound unjust or oppressive, which again, oppressive language is commonly used by the feminist movement. It's part of the feminist agenda because they want to be pushing for more, pushing against this oppression and pushing for quote unquote freedom and pushing for in their mind freedom. So let's just be clear though, breaking the law does deserve consequences. So if abortion is ending the life of a human being, it's murder, and there should be punishment for breaking this law. Just as there are punishments for murder, there should be punishments for abortion because you're ending a life. Now, granted, the punishments are different, um, but they still should exist, and it shouldn't be painted as oppressive if someone murders the life of an innocent child and therefore has to pay the consequences for it. It's justice. And, of course, there are, as we've talked, there are exceptions. They can't exist. These exceptions are different than in the case of a murder, where there aren't very many exceptions for someone to murder someone and then get away with it. But with an abortion, if the life of the mother is endangered, so you're saving a life, um, or in some, some states, say, if it was done by rape or incest, etc., and that's determined by the state. But the bottom line is that there are laws in place for a reason because we're trying in our country, the point of a government is to maintain virtue. That goes all the way back to Aristotle, who talks about the purpose of government. And sadly, our world has kind of lost that today, or virtue has gone out the window and you define your own virtue. But that's the point of law. That's the point of having rules. It's to maintain order and to maintain morality. And so if someone breaks those laws, there ought to be punishment. If there are no punishments, why would we have laws? And then Michelle Goodwin continues. She says, save for a few states, women remain in minority representation in most state legislatures. And this matters for reproductive freedom and the dignity of women and girls. So this again goes back to her push for the midterm elections as this crucial turning point. And we need, she's basically saying, we need more women in, in our government, in our leadership to represent women. And she basically, again, is using this oppressive language saying that women remain in the minority of representation. And that basically what she's alluding to is the fact that there are more men who serve in politics or in government than women do. Well, is that oppressive? Does that mean that women aren't represented or that women are being oppressed because there are less women serving in politics than there are men? Of course not. The men simply outnumber the women, typically because men, typically, are more interested in politics than women are. There are more likely more men majoring in politics or law or something like that than women because our our passions and our brains and our pursuits are different. And 
it that doesn't mean that like a woman who is into politics is not a woman. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is that we have different interests and different passions. For example, 80% of elementary school teachers are women. So only 20% are men. Does that mean that the boys are less represented or that men are oppressed because not as many are elementary school teachers? Absolutely not. It just means that more women have the passion and feel the call to be an elementary school teacher and are gifted in that way and less men want to be working as elementary school teachers that that's just how it is not everything can be 50 50 but that is what the feminist movement pushes for it's not equality because because equality says that we are equal of equal standing of equal value so in politics with representation men and women are equally represented meaning we both have a say or in elementary schools a male teacher has just as much rights as a female teacher that's equality no that's not what the feminist movement is pushing for what the feminist movement is pushing for is equity which means that everyone has the exact same thing that the word same is important it's not equal it's same so it's 50 50 we have 50 percent men as teachers and 50 percent women as teachers or 50 percent men in politics 50 percent women in politics and equity and equality are extremely different but they get interchanged all of the time and that is highly confusing and intentionally so but we ought to really clarify that So it's simply a fact that men and women are programmed differently. We're made with different talents and passions. So we should be doing what we ought to be doing, what we're made to do. And again, that's not oppressive. That doesn't mean that we have less representation. It just means that we're different and that's okay. It's actually beautiful. Michelle Goodwin uses in her her words, she uses the word dignity, uh, which as you know, is the title of this show, Strength and Dignity. So what is dignity? Dignity is the state of deserving honor or respect. So what she's saying is because women are not as represented in politics, they are lacking honor or respect. And she concludes her article saying, as voters go to polls, much is at risk, and it's not only abortion rights. On the line are reproductive freedom, dignity and respect for the lives of women, girls, and people with the capacity for pregnancy. That's how she concludes her article, again throwing in that word dignity, and then also throwing in the word respect. For the lives of women, girls, and people with the capacity for pregnancy, which, as we've discussed multiple times, are now necessary words to throw into virtually every article Because we can't just say men and women or boys and girls because anything goes. Anyone can define or say whatever they are, whoever they are, and identify however they want to. And so people with the capacity of becoming pregnant are not necessarily women, not necessarily men, but they have the ability to become pregnant. And so she's, again, directly tying it back to abortion, but she's... She's refusing to acknowledge the fact that only women can get pregnant. And that is something beautiful. It's something unique to women. It's something that it, it, it's honorable for women. And it's something that we ought to cherish as the ones who get to carry another human being inside of her for nine months and feel them move and kick 
end and respond to your voice and talk to them. That mother-child connection is beyond words and beyond the ability of even our our understanding. And yet, we're just completely destroying that image in this language of people with the capacity of becoming pregnant because we're robbing women of that joy and of that unique responsibility. And again, Michelle Goodwin is implying that people have lost respect or dignity for women because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. So basically, the Dobbs case robbed women of the respect that is due to them. But that is completely twisted. She's basically saying that Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion, the overturn of that, so now the the potential limiting on abortion is disrespectful to women. But pregnancy, the ability to bear a child, is one of the most unique things of being a woman. And it's something beautiful that no no man can ever experience. It's recognizing the life inside the womb, that that life has a unique purpose, and that it's a unique privilege for women to be able to carry that life. And the respect and dignity that women ought to receive for for being that that mother and that life support for that child for demonstrating sacrificial love in the role of a mother and honoring Christ and her husband and her family and just demonstrating that role to her children all of that is part of being a woman and being having the ability to carry a child and what Michelle Goodwin is saying is that women have lost respect because they've lost the ability to not be pregnant, basically. Our culture has disrespected women because she no longer has ability to end the life of her child. And so she's just completely flipped some something true and core to the nature of women um, that that does deserve respect and honor and say and now that it's on its way back or we're hopefully recognizing that beauty she's saying that we're disrespecting women because we've robbed them of their rights oh but not only women just people with the capacity of becoming pregnant so I just want to conclude again just recognizing the beauty and the privilege it is uh, that women that God the role that God has given women the beauty and the unique role that God has given women, and end by quoting Proverbs 31, the foundation of this series. And I'm starting with verse 25 of Proverbs 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So this is honor. This is dignity and respect. A hard-working woman She does not eat the bread of idleness. She serves her family, and she is the one who is praised. Her children rise up and call her blessed. She's demonstrating the saving love of the Lord. So our hope and our salvation is not found in the midterm elections. And I'm I'm recording, I'm speaking to you after 
the midterm elections. They've already been determined. Um, but the, the, no matter your thoughts on on how the elections have gone, on looking at the next four years, know that the Lord is in control and that he recognizes beauty and he recognizes those who carry themselves with strength and dignity. For he is the savior and he is the creator. And so we ought to beautifully model our lives off of his sacrificial love for us and give him all the glory and all the honor and point others to him. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.